Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Now's the time of the service that we're going to look into the Word of God, and it's great to have you with us for this time. We're so grateful to have Mike leading the church during our transition. As you're already getting to know, he is a man of, of great compassion and depth in his relation to God. We are so grateful to have him with us. Mike McNichols. Hello, friends. It's, uh, it's good to be with you again. And I know that we are all aware that it's been kind of a rough month for many here in California. Uh, along with everything else that's going on, we've had these, these devastating wildfires that have wrecked havoc across the state and created a, a kind of Martian visibility, even in areas not touched by the fires. And as I've watched the news reports of, of firefighters rescuing people and neighbors assisting neighbors and aid organizations bringing food to displaced people. I've been reminded of the title of a book written, by, written years ago by one of my college professors. It was a study in the New Testament book of 1 John titled, We Really Do Need Each Other. And we do. And here at The Vine, we have an opportunity starting next week to experience some new ways of being together and recognizing our need for one another. And we're going to do that in our Tuesday evening online gatherings, and I, I really hope that all of you will be able to join in. And I have to say, for my part, I, I'm really looking forward to meeting as many, many of you as I can uh, during our time together. Well, <clears throat> I've been thinking a lot these days about how we can consider ourselves to be one people, that is, the church, while at the same time being the individual and now scattered persons that we are. Philosophers for a, a few thousand years have been kicking around the question of the one and the many, the, the idea that there might be this one cosmic unifying force that somehow relates to all the people and all the things on earth. And in a way, we find ourselves sort of wrestling with that idea in, in some real and practical ways, trying to figure out as a dispersed and somewhat isolated people how we are still connected together and with God. You know, isolation during a pandemic can turn all of us into philosophers if we're not careful. I'm very interested in the way that our scriptures speak to this question about how we are one while, at the same time, individual persons who, for the most part, cannot be one in proximity. And there are two texts that I hope will help us today, and I read them to you now. A reading from Colossians chapter 3. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, 
sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. And the gospel according to John, as Jesus prays for his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. My friends, this is the gospel of the Lord. Uh, as a young man, I spent <clears throat> four years in the U.S. Navy. My 20th birthday occurred on the second day of boot camp in Florida, and I'm sure you can imagine how glorious that was. But after my, my training schools that I went to and everything, I ended up being stationed right back here in California, working with a group of people who, like all military people, were, were tasked with things that were aimed at a common mission. And I learned very quickly the difference between unity and uniformity. In our day-to-day -day work, we were tasked with common goals, which were linked to the mission of our organization. We recognized that each of us was a, a distinct human being with a name and a history and a life. Uh, we were young guys. We didn't even call each other by our last names that you're supposed to do in the military. It was, it was Steve, and it was Ira, and it was Ken, and Mike, and that's just how we did things. Uh, we could even individually choose to wear different authorized uniforms so that we didn't always look identical to one another. We, we actually had five different styles of uniform to choose from. Together, we tried to work in a unified way so that we actually got some things done. But when inspection day came around, or there was some big outdoor ceremony that we had to go to, all distinctiveness was completely swallowed up as we wore identical uniforms, marched in step, stood stock still at attention, and presented ourselves as a collective mass of military presence. Day to day, we tried to experience at least some level of unity. On the parade grounds, we experienced uniformity. When Jesus speaks of oneness, the oneness he shares with God the Father, the oneness he asks for believers to share with one another and also with God, he is speaking much more about unity, or, or we might say union, rather than uniformity. The oneness that Jesus shares with the Father is a oneness of love. The call for Jesus' followers to share in that oneness is a call to participate in that living dynamic of love. That love provides us not only with what we need to be a people, but also with what we need for our mission. And that mission, which is a result of our oneness with God and with one another, is for the world to know that God has sent Jesus.
and that those who trust in Jesus are loved by him. That's what Jesus says. Now, honestly, those are rather startling words in our time, aren't they? We live in a world of people who are certainly diverse in many ways, but it's a world that is too often divided and fractured and angry and, and not really characterized by oneness, even within individual nations or states or cities or neighborhoods, and in some cases, maybe within some churches. But Jesus' prayer still stands. The call to oneness remains. One of the most astonishing aspects of Jesus' prayer in this text in John chapter 17 is that he includes more than just his disciples, his current disciples, those sitting right before him as he prays. He actually includes us in his prayer. He prays for those who will believe. Those words point ahead to, to people who have come to faith in Jesus throughout the centuries, and it points to us today. Jesus prayed for us that we would be one. Let's stop and just hold on to that for a moment. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus takes his future followers before God in prayer and asks that we might be one. Now, I think this is really significant, don't you? I think we can safely assume that God heard and granted Jesus' request. And I think that means that God has already opened the way for his people to be one, a oneness characterized by God's love. Our work is to respond to that love. And, and when we think about it, all that we are called to do, to love, forgive, pray for enemies, give generously, bear with one another, are, are all responses to God's invitation to be one in his love. I, I suspect that the Apostle Paul probably had this idea of oneness in mind when he wrote to his friends in the church at Colossae. He refers to them as chosen ones, ones who are set apart and loved by God. Now, this idea of being chosen harkens all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, after all of the dramas of, of creation and, and fall and murder and a flood and a, a tower of self-importance, including the various failed attempts by people to reboot things and set the world back on track on their own. But in chapter 12 of Genesis, God takes the initiative and summons a wandering nomad named Abram and declares that he and his descendants will be a special people, chosen not for their own sakes, but rather for the sake and blessing of all the families of the earth. According to our scriptures, that's what it means to be chosen. Chosen not to the exclusion of others, but rather to be for God and for the sake and blessing of others. And, and this plays out in Paul's words as he speaks of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with and forgiving one another. 
These are all outward-focused actions and postures, demonstrations of an inner faith that's personal, but not individualistic. A faith that is about persons, but also about a people. A faith that's grounded in the oneness of the love of God, a love that God pours out upon the world. We experience oneness in and through Christian community, even while we are learning new ways of being together. Paul the Apostle always strikes me as a a very realistic and practical person. When you read his letters to the various churches, he, he recognizes the problems they have and then directs them toward practices and behaviors that will be helpful to their communities. He says something in his letter to the church in Galatia, that letter we call in the New Testament, Galatians, uh, that seems at first, however, to point his readers toward uniformity. He says, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. Now, If you stop reading too soon, you might think that Paul is trying to eliminate the obvious diversity of the church. But no matter what he said, there would still be Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, males and females. The distinctiveness of each person would not magically go away. But Paul says that the no longer he's talking about is something that's found in the oneness that they are called to in Christ. The people's distinctiveness remains, and as such, they're drawn into the oneness of Christ in Christ. They can look across the room. They can look across the table. They can recognize their differences in gender, ethnicity, education, and socioeconomic status, and yet still experience the oneness in Christ that empowers them to call each other brother or sister. And in our text today, we see that this oneness is characterized by dynamic human relationships that, while sometimes are broken and damaged, are healed and restored through the love of God that is experienced and demonstrated by his people. You know, sometimes sometimes people read or hear about problems that churches are having and, and wonder how people who are supposed to be good, respectable, religious folks deal with a lot of the same problems as the rest of the world, as if that is somehow surprising. But really, we should not be surprised by difficulties, conflict, and and even the occasional scandal in the life of churches all over the world. After all, in the Christian community, we recruit from the same human race that everyone else recruits from. But we should be surprised when such difficulties are neither addressed nor healed by truth-telling, repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation, and most importantly and foundationally, by love. That's part of how the life of the community of Christ demonstrates the love of God to the world. Now, I, I know that It's just way too easy to keep on making references to the pandemic and the isolation it's created. And and I imagine people are tired of hearing it from all sorts of places, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Sorry. 
as difficult as this time has been, it's forced us to think about what it really means to be a people bound together by the love that is shared eternally between God the Father and Jesus the Son, a, a love that is poured out upon us in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. As much as we don't like losing, even temporarily, the, the ability to meet together in person each week, we all would probably agree that the church is more than a building, that the church is more than an in-person weekly worship service and, and all that. But those things still remain important to us, and so they should. Nevertheless, recognizing that while those things are demonstrations of our oneness, they aren't the source of our oneness. Our oneness comes from God and from God alone. I teach graduate students part-time, and, and I've been talking to my students that I teach, uh, and, and also with some of my friends, and a number of them have shared with me how they found deeper connections with family and neighbors and even pets during this time, especially their dogs, who are thrilled that people are home. One person said that he is now on a first-name basis with his Amazon delivery person. Well, th these are unexpected benefits arising out of a very difficult time. And these things happen in wonderful and unique ways when we have clothed ourselves with love, which binds everything together. I was talking with a friend of mine recently who, who confessed that he's overwhelmed with anger and anxiety, mostly due to the news that he reads and watches. He's, he's lost sleep and he just can't seem to shake these feelings that seem to just burrow themselves into his brain. These are times when a lot of people would empathize with my friend. With, with all that's going on around us and throw in a, an election year to boot, those feelings are being expressed by a lot of people, it seems. But Paul, as he encourages his friends in Colossae, opens us up to a completely different possibility. People in Paul's day had their own reasons for experiencing anger and anxiety, and Paul surely knew that. So he offers them an invitation to open themselves up to an alternative, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, there are plenty of forces that would love to set up housekeeping in our minds, to, to pound a stake of ownership into our cerebral cortexes. But we are all invited to something different, to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And, and this Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, this one called Son of God and Lord who shares an eternal relationship of love with God the Father, has prayed for us that we might be one. And in that oneness, as God's chosen ones, chosen for the sake and blessing of the world, the peace of Christ comes to rule in our hearts. May it be so for us today.